A reading from Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in, in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for giving us your word, and we pray that today, as we walk through it, that we would not only see what it means to bear burdens, but that we would understand that you have ultimately done this for us in Jesus. We thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in the power of the Spirit that we pray, God. Amen. You may be somewhat familiar with the sport of triathlons. Some of you actually have done triathlons. And uh, they include one and a half kilometers uh, swim, a 40 kilometer biking event, and a 10 kilometer run. Uh, at least if you're British, <laughs> it's in kilometers. And in that world, uh, there are two brothers that have been pretty well known, uh, at least five to six years ago and prior. Uh, Alastair Brownlee is a two-time Olympic gold medalist for Great Britain, while his younger brother Johnny uh, won a third-place medal in London and second in Rio in this event, in these events. And there's actually a video of both of them heading toward the finish line in extreme conditions in 90-degree heat in Mexico, and they're both exhausted. And the older brother, Alistair, is, is really close to the finish line, and you actually can't quite see it because the video is blurred out, but you can hear what the announcers are saying. And they're just flabbergasted because uh, Alistair is slowing down to help his younger brother, Johnny, who is, is suffering from heat exhaustion. He's He's losing his sense of direction. And they, they said, have we ever seen this? He's carrying his brother across. And they actually interviewed Alistair at the end of the race. And again, he had to slow down to carry his brother. And in loving big brother fashion, the older brother Alistair said in the interview, the flipping idiot just had to pace it right. <laughs> um, maybe that sounds less harsh with a British accent. Uh, it was said in love, and I don't necessarily recommend using that kind of language, but what a beautiful picture it was of bearing burdens. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, reflecting Galatians 6, said, a Christian must suffer and endure his brother. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. We are called, all of us, to the ministry of bearing each other's burdens. 
Now the word burden is, it means heaviness or weight or trouble or load. And so friends, it means that in the body of Christ, we draw near and we distribute weight. We share the load of others so that we all finish the race together. We carry each other across so often. And a burden can be a practical need that we meet. It, it could be childcare in a pinch or, or helping someone fix their house or taking someone to the doctor. But in the context here that we find it in Galatians 6, it, it seems to be referring mostly to spiritual weights. The temptations that threaten to pull us down and to doubt God's goodness or or to damage our faith, to even prompt us to give up on our faith. In those settings, we are to come alongside each other and to help one another finish the race. Now, our passage comes immediately after the portion where Paul deals with the wonderful fruit of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who produces the virtues of Jesus within us. Not so that we earn God's favor, but because God has already favored us in Christ. And so we are to develop these qualities and the power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, so that we might help others flourish and so that we might, in so doing, honor God. And so Paul has made it very clear throughout this letter that Jesus has redeemed us from sin's penalty and ultimate dominion and power. However, we still, all of us, struggle, and at times we are overcome or we are ensnared by sin. The kind of language that Paul uses here is as though somebody is jumped or ambushed by temptation. And so Paul is realistic that the works of the flesh can sometimes overwhelm the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as the weeds can grow. And so we are to help one another. And so we're going to look today at who should bear burdens. And as we look at that, we'll define a little bit what that looks like. Who should bear burdens? And then finally, why we bear burdens. And so who should bear burdens? Well, Paul is specific at first. He says in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught or, again, overcome in any transgression, if somebody is jumped, and ambushed by sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or her. Now, who are the spiritual? Well, it's certainly not um, those who think they're really great or those who are looking down on anyone. It's, it's actually the opposite. Those who are spiritual are those who are defined by our union with Jesus. We find our identity in his dying to take the curse of death from us and his rising to give us the blessing of his life. Those who are spiritual are attempting to walk in the spirit. And so we're thereby demonstrating love and joy and peace, patience, <clears throat> kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, albeit not perfectly. But this is what we are aiming to do. And hopefully and ideally, <laughs> um, those who are spiritual are those who are leaders. 
In the Presbyterian context in which we find ourselves, this would be elders and, and pastors and deacons and, and other leaders, those who are set apart by prayer and the laying on of hands even for the task of caring and guiding. And as we do this, friends, it means that occasionally we need to admonish, and yet we do this with great gentleness and loving correction. Tim Keller has said that Christians need to be neither quick to criticize nor afraid to confront. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So what are some of the things that we have to speak to sometimes in the body of Christ? Well, when people are drifting, drifting from fellowship, which we're not supposed to forsake, which we saw from Hebrews 10 two weeks ago, it is up to those who are spiritual to speak to people about that. When somebody is drifting toward anti-biblical beliefs, it is, it is the job, it is the calling, the privilege of those who are um, living in the gospel to come alongside that person and to have dialogue, to listen and to try to steer someone back to biblical ways of thinking. You see, in all of these things, we need help. And, and Paul says that when we come alongside each other, those who are spiritual in this context, he says that we restore people. And the word for restore actually means to set a broken bone right or to put something back in place. Now, when I was in seminary, uh, we would play flag football, and sometimes it was more like tackle football, you know, pastors, future pastors getting out their frustrations. And uh, we were playing, I think it was muddy, it, you know, it was fall back there in Princeton, New Jersey, and, and it was cold out, and it, it was great. But all of a sudden, somebody started yelling because he, it looked like he had dislocated his shoulder. So... He was in anguish, and we all kind of gathered around and said, hey, we're being trained to restore souls, not bones. <laughs> so we just said, we're not sure what to do. We'd seen it done in the movies, but we wanted somebody who knew what they were doing to come along and help. So somebody showed up, and sure enough, they basically said, this is going to hurt, um, but I got a pull to put you and your arm in a better place. And, you know, he kind of yelled out, and sure enough, it worked. This person reset the bone or put it back in place. And Paul is using that imagery, friends, to say sometimes restorative care heals by hurting just for a moment. And so in our context, it means as we uh, take vows to one another, as you join the church, uh, when you join the church, you say, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church? And that can sound harsh. It's not. It is basically asking, will you submit yourself to loving leadership? Loving shepherding that sometimes has to pull a little bit and put things back in place. But we all need this. And yet Paul, when he says you are to restore, he says do so in a spirit of gentleness. And so this means that those who lead and serve are never to be condescending. You see, Jesus Christ corrected his disciples 
in and with love. Think of it, the Holy One was never holier than thou. It says in Matthew 12 that um, a bruised reed he will not snuff out. This is Jesus referring to Isaiah. A, or a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. And so to be like Jesus means that we come alongside with the heart of gentle lowliness toward the hurting. We do this with sensitivity and not stridently. I love the way Martin Luther talked about this passage as he was advising pastors and leaders in the church. He said, run unto him, that is the person who needs restoration, the person who is hurting, and reaching out your hand, raise him up again, comfort him with sweet words, and embrace him with motherly arms. And so again, there is zero condescension here, and Paul would also add that there's much realism. He says also, those of you who are leading and restoring, keep watch, lest you too be tempted. You see, that's the mentality that says, look, I'm aware that I could just as easily fall into sin or be ensnared by temptation as the next person, as you. And so there is no room for arrogant uh, looking down on people. But rather we share wisdom and speak help. We speak Christ into the lives of those who are hurting. Let me tell you a little bit of what this might look like. Years ago, um, I had breakfast with somebody in LA County and we were meeting together. He's a Christian brother and, and it was a long conversation. We were catching, catching up over many topics. It was good. And then as we were preparing to leave, he said, do you have a little more time? And I thought, boy, I need, to, I need to stay. So I said, absolutely. And then the conversation turned and uh, through tears, he began to unburden himself about his struggles with identity and temptation and loneliness and trying to stay faithful to Jesus as a disciple of Jesus. And I remember all the way back what a privilege it felt to be to minister to a bruised reed. As Jesus has done for us, as Jesus has done for me in different ways, and he does this partly, friends, through the ministry of others, through the ministry of ministers and leaders. But Paul then moves from leaders restoring someone to verse 2, all of you each and every one of us bearing each other's burdens. He says, come alongside one another and take the burdens of others as your own. You know, I was trying not to quote the song, but it looks like this. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend and I'll help you carry on. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. Now, I need to make a confession here. Um, as I speak to an issue, many of us have picked up the notion, and, and I've been here for a while, so I know this. I know this area. I know our tendencies. Many of us have picked up the notion from our culture 
or our families, that we mustn't ever be a burden to others. We need to hear this. Um, I have that notion, and I know that many men do. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A month ago or so, we put on the prayer chain, actually, my wife did, that um, she kind of updated you on my kidney issues and the journey there. And then probably in a year or two, I'll need a kidney transplant. And uh, Liz had a clause in there that said, and at that point, we'll need help. We had a lot of discussion about that line. <laughs> now, why is that? Well, because I'm in some ways a victim of rugged individualism. I, somewhere in my hard drive, even though I know better, <laughs> and I preach in a very different way than this, I have this view, never let them see you sweat. And I came across a headline a while ago that was talking about this issue in particular, how men have a hard time admitting that they have burdens that need to be shared. And the headline said, thou shalt be needed, but never needy. And guys, I think that's what a lot of us feel, but I think it's really all of us. And obviously my wife won. <laughs> if you read the email, she expressed need there. And that made me a little uncomfortable. But I had to realize, and I have to say to all of us, that we are all vulnerable and in need of help, learning to admit, even as preachers, that we don't have all the resources in ourselves, that we are not meant to be completely self-reliant. We are not meant to suffer in silence. But we shoulder each other's burdens. We respond to needs, but we also express our needs. And friends, for any of this to be applied, it means that we must be in community as we've been hearing. We don't just do life, but we do life together. And I think we need to recognize that this might be difficult for those of us who have some introverted tendencies, and I think many in our church do. Um, you know, there's the question, how many introverts does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is, why must it be a group activity? <laughs> I think some of you feel that way. And we could say that about our life together in Christ. Must it be a group activity? Yes. <laughs> we cannot grow and thrive on our own. Another motto of an introvert is, I came, I saw, and I left early. <laughs> and Paul is saying, you need to come and you need to see and you need to stay, not only for others, but for yourself. Don't say thou shalt be needed, needed, but never needy. We are all in need. And the Lord has ordained that our growth in him would be in our spiritual family. It is a group activity. You know, Peter says in 1 Peter 5 that we are to cast our burdens on the Lord because he cares for us. And one of the ways that he cares for us is through the friendships that we have with our brothers and sisters. It means that we are there for each other. It means that we are here for each other, and that therefore it means we must come near. 
Dear friends, it means that we need to be available enough and dialed in enough to come alongside each other and share burdens. But it also means, as I've said here, that we must be humble enough to let others share our burdens. And so are you available enough and dialed in enough to come alongside others and share their struggles? But also, are you humble enough to let others share your struggles? It may mean that you talk about doubts that you have as you're facing suffering and others come alongside you or you come alongside them. It may mean that, that you're struggling with anxiety and that's something that you want to unburden yourself from or with as you talk to a brother or a sister. It means practically, practically that we have coffee with each other, that we commit to praying for each other, that we invite people into our homes that we're willing to go to the homes of others, that we are here for one another. And as we help one another, it's not in some, again, high and mighty way, but we do so in humility. I love the quote from the theologian Karl Barth who said, when we speak of our virtues, we are competitors. And friends, that is so tempting to do. When we speak to one another of our virtues, we are competitors. But then he goes on to say, when we confess our sins, then we become brothers and sisters. And we need to confess our sins and our struggles to each other so that we might help one another. Well, what does this look like? I'm going to give you and share with you a few examples, one that's fictional and one that's very real. It's been a while since I've referred to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and some of you know the scene that's uh, so powerful in Return of the King, uh, where Samwise Gamgee is with his friend Frodo at the foothills on the side of Mount Doom. And Frodo has been overwhelmed by carrying the burden of the enslaving ring in which there's all of this malice and power from Sauron, all of this darkness. And the ring threatens to destroy Frodo before he can destroy it by casting it into the flames. And in his anguish, he says to his friend, Sam, I don't think I can go on. And Samwise says to his, his friend, Frodo, I cannot carry the ring, but I can carry you. Now, when you say that kind of thing to each other, you're not going to have swooping grand music uh, to inspire you. Uh, and my wife is homesick. She's not here to hear this favorite scene of hers. But this is what we do for one another. There are times where we need to actually carry each other for a bit. I've shared over the years now and then, it's been a while, uh, about a couple from our previous church, uh, old friends of ours who were actively involved in our youth group, Mike and Sarah, who lost all three of their children, their only children, to genetic diseases, each at different times. Michael in infancy, and then Jenny and Katie at around seven and nine years old, at different times. Um, it is one of the, the deepest, darkest sorrows that anyone can face. 
And one of the most powerful things for me to hear as a young youth pastor was somebody shared with me that when their third child died, the church uh, gathered around them and said, we will carry you. They set up around-the-clock vigils in their home. In other words, they were never alone. And this person said to me, we went into that horrible pit with them. But she said more than that. She said, we had to have faith in the Lord for them when they couldn't. Others had to bear their loss, their despair, their rage, and their doubts. And, and I'm quite certain that as they continue to walk with the Lord all of these years later, I, I'm convinced that they still believe because in those moments of darkness, others believed for them and carried them through their sorrows to the Lord. And so friends, are we willing to go to difficult and dark places with each other to carry one another when our brothers and sisters are struggling? I know the answer is yes for you. And we need to find ways in the spirit to do that. Now, in all of this, Paul says in verse 5 that we must still each carry our own load. And what he's saying is that ultimately our faith has to be our own. We have to own it. And there are tough seasons where someone needs, again, to, to take some weight out of our backpack so that we can journey along and all finish our trek of faith, the race of faith, the climb of faith together. But we do this with one another. So we've looked here at who bears the burdens and what that might look like. And then we close here with why we bear each other's burdens. Paul says as we bear burdens and we take on this privilege, we actually fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. And according to Galatians and all the Bible, we do not enter the kingdom of God by obeying the law. He accepts us and embraces us by his sheer grace on account of all that Jesus has done for us. Again, by taking the curse that we deserve and giving us the blessing that he deserves. And Paul has told us that the way of merit and earning only leaves us under a curse and dead in our sins. However, the way of mercy and new life in Christ means that when we love, we end up doing all along what the law required. We fulfill the law of Jesus in thankful response to his grace. And so, dear friends and brothers and sisters, when you share each other's loads for heavy things like I've mentioned, but also for lighter things, you imitate Christ who shared your ultimate load. You see, in Jesus, God has come alongside us. And of course, he didn't condemn sin. 
or rather, he didn't, he didn't condone sin, he did condemn sin, but he doesn't condemn us. He came to, sa to save sinners. He came to be a friend of sinners. Jesus came to shoulder our load, to take all of our weight. He bore all of our burdens. And he has done this to restore our relationship with God, to put what was dislocated back in place, to restore us to each other and even to ourselves. I want to take you back to what Martin Luther said about the way leaders are to care. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He has run to us. He has raised us up. He comforts us. He speaks sweet words to us. And he embraces us. You see, Jesus carried us and carries us to heal us. And that's what he calls us to do for one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who didn't stay far off or away. But you sent your son into the deepest, darkest places to bear our sorrows, to carry us in our struggles, to share our load, to take it from us. We thank you that he died in our place so that we might live in him before you. And Father, we pray that in the way of mercy, not in the way of merit, where we can't earn anything from you. But we pray that in the way of mercy, that as we love one another, that we would thereby fulfill the law of Jesus. And Father, we want to confess that we don't do this perfectly, even as we strive. And so we still need the forgiveness of Christ. But I pray, God, that in our relationships that we would not stay apart, but that we would come toward each other and support one another, carry the weight that is in each other's packs that is in our hearts. Help us, God, to be willing not only to care for those in need, but to admit that we are needy and that we need help. We need your help through your people and from your people. God, thank you that you have ordained to save us and to conform us to Christ together. And so we pray now that by your spirit, you would form this passage and the truths in it in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.